Hey everyone, Soul here and welcome to this episode of In Flight. I hope our, you are all having a great first day of summer. Uh, it has just hit here in the States. Uh, I believe if you live in uh, the lower part of the world, that is Australia and New Zealand, then this is your second day of summer now. So I hope that that's been good for you if you're one of those people. Um, on this episode of In Flight, we got the privilege to speak with the creator of X-Plane. Yes, you heard that right. We, uh, Norm and I, uh, sat down and spoke with Austin Meyer, uh, who created X-Plane um, a very, very long time ago. Um, and he'll tell you the story as to how that all started uh, and how X-Plane got to where it is today and all the things that he was focusing on in X-Plane um, and various other interests that Austin has. Austin is a very, very well-rounded person, and he really hops into anything that he wants to get into and that's a really great quality of his and something that was really interesting to learn about on this episode of the podcast so without further ado please welcome austin meyer to the show and i hope you enjoy listening to him awesome thank you so much for joining us today uh i'm sorry that the launch was scrubbed i know both of us were excited to watch that but otherwise how are you doing today uh good good so the launch being scrubbed let me just remember remind you there were the three alternatives okay Go in for it. orbit sitting on the pad or falling in small pieces, right? Those were the yeah. three <laughs> options. And given that those are the three options, I'm not too terribly demoralized uh, that we got the one that involves the rocket still being in one piece. So uh, we'll live to fly another day, and that will be Saturday at 3.22 p.m. And we'll both be there. Oh, yep. yeah. We'll be Virtually speaking. At it. Is it me, or does the, uh, the rocket, the spaceship, the suit just look so futuristic? You know? Oh, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. You know, it's so fascinating. The initial space program, it was John F. Kennedy, right? You know, yeah. we'd go not because it is easy, but because it is hot. And we will put a man on the moon before the decade is out. And so people were rushing, right? It was a scramble. It was a scramble rush job in 1960s. Yeah. To put somebody in the moon and get him back. Everything was a rush. And uh, I'm sure there were so many systems that were just like, okay, here's another layer of scotch tape on front of the first layer, you know, on top of the first layer of scotch tape. Whatever it takes to get this thing ready, we got to be on the moon by 1969. Yeah. And um, so, so many things were rushed. There was always jamming another button, jamming another control. But with SpaceX, that, they weren't, that wasn't quite their imperative, was it? They were able to sit back for a moment look at the totality of history of space flight and say, you know, how do we do this right? And what is our mission? Our mission is to, well, to some degree, make money, right? Because yeah. money is going to fund the trip to Mars. Yep. And if the goal is to make money, then you actually stop for a moment and you think, what is the most efficient possible way I can do this job? Another mission is to inspire future generations. How do you make the avionics that can really and, – and, and spacesuit and airplane and everything else and inspire the next generation of astronauts, maybe kids now? And so uh, – oh, and how do we build something that can be the platform that we can use to build better ships in the future that will – ultimately travel to Mars. And so they just had a, a way different set of imperatives and they had a much more flexible uh, timing 
to, to get it done, to take their time and do it right. And um, when, when you see this, all the experience of previous space flight, the time taken to do it right, and they're playing the long game. They weren't playing the short game like we were playing in the 60s. They're playing the long game at SpaceX. Yeah. It really results in a much, much more carefully designed, carefully tuned, carefully optimized, uh, versatile machine. And uh, that's what they built. And uh, I bet we're going to see it fly on Saturday. Oh, yeah. And, and isn't it amazing that um, X-Plane Mobile is, is probably way more powerful than the original software computer used? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Our iPhones have way more power than they had in the original uh, Saturn V moon rocket. That's for sure. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. One thing uh, that you were touching on with the whole modernization thing, they were talking about bringing people up to the ISS in order to do like for business trips so that large commercial companies could exp um, experiment in microgravity. I think I thought that was a really cool thing. And I think that speaks to what you were talking about, which is like inspiring the next generation and making space a lot more commercial, which is something I'm pretty excited to see, honestly. Right. And it's beyond just cool and inspiring. It's going to impact us in ways that we don't even know yet. However, I happen to know one way from just a little bit of behind the scenes information, and I'll tell it to you now. Go for um, it. I am working with a company called Beta, uh, in Burlington, Vermont, to build an electric vertical takeoff and landing airplane. And our initial aircraft, uh, AVA, um, has over 100 test flights on it, weighs uh, in at 3,600 pounds, the heaviest eVTOL ever to fly. And we are building our next aircraft now, which we haven't unveiled yet, uh, which is even bigger. We are building these eVTOL aircraft to do organ transplant delivery. So organs are going to be manufactured in Raleigh-Durham and distributed to hospitals up and down the East Coast for insertion into patients. So many patients die right now waiting for an organ transplant that never happens. Um, and so a company called United Therapeutics is actually starting to work on 3D printing organs that are custom made for each recipient and custom made so that the patient does not need immunosuppressant therapy when they received the organ. When you get an organ transplant right now, the biggest problem is not the operation to put the new organ in. The biggest mm -hmm. problem is your own immune system rejects the organ. So you have to get immunosuppressant therapies, which cramp down your immune system, which then causes you to die of something else. Right. And so um, if we can custom 3D print organs that do not require, that are custom designed for us, we do not require uh, immunosuppressant therapy. That means people will not be waiting in a hospital bed for an organ transplant that never arrives, waiting until they die. And I'm involved in a team that is making the airplane that will deliver these organs from Raleigh Durham to hospitals up and down the East Coast. Now, here's the fascinating thing. One of the business missions to the ISS, as you may have heard from the live cast, if you were listening closely, is they're looking at starting the 3D printing process for organs in zero G. If you can start 3D printing these organs in zero G, apparently that's going to recreate some of the, co the conditions of being in the womb or something like that, where uh, it's going to allow them to start to learn how to actually make these 3D printed organs. So 
we are learning how to do this in the zero G of the ISS. And then the next step is going to be to print them in large quantity in Raleigh-Durham, which is uh, where one company is going to do this. And then I'm working on the electric vertical takeoff landing aircraft that will deliver those organs to hospitals up and down the East Coast. So it's fascinating seeing uh, this mission is, is one little piece of the puzzle to help support uh, a next generation of uh, healthcare in this case. Wow. So remind me if I'm wrong. Ava was designed in X-Plane before you even built or put apart any any screws together, right? Yes, that's correct. And ditto that Alia, which is our second gen uh, aircraft that we haven't unveiled yet. Um, we absolutely, we designed it in X-Plane, see how it would flew. That includes the wings, body props, and everything else. And then we test flew it countless times in X-Plane. And we have found that uh, the flight model in X-Plane did a very good job of predicting what Ava would actually fly like. And now we're starting to see the same thing with Alia as well. So yes, we flew our EV tolls in X-Plane. We designed them test flew them and got our test pilots proficient in X-Plane. Um, and then that prepared them to successfully fly the actual aircraft, which they've done and are wow. doing now. So this brings us right back to X-Plane itself, where you designed and wrote this thing in uh, what year and how long it took you to write the program? Um, I guess I started it in the late 80s. So this is right when the uh, Berlin Wall uh, was coming down and the uh, aerospace defense industry was kind of crumbling in the United States as we suddenly realized we didn't have to be scared to death of the Russians every second of our lives. And graduating from Iowa State University uh, with a bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering, I saw uh, I wouldn't be able to just automatically get a job at Lockheed or Martin Marietta or something like that building defense systems. And it never would have been a good fit. I never would have fit in one of those big companies anyway. It would have been a disaster anyway. And so I realized I had to do something on my own. Um, and as well, right around the same time, I was taking an instrument currency check out in Southern California and having a hell of a time passing the instrument currency check. And so uh, I wrote a simulator called Archer 2 IFR to let me practice instrument flying. And, uh, and as I was getting my aerospace engineering degree, I realized I could apply the blade element theory that I used in Archer 2 IFR to all aircraft. So I renamed it to X-Plane. And then as the uh, aerospace defense industry was crumbling and people were starting to scream, we have to do more with less. We can't just be mm-hmm. awash in money feeding off of Congress's paranoid fear of Russia to get untold and uncountable money for aerospace projects. Um, I realized I had to do something on my own. I wasn't just be able to go work for an aerospace company, a big company. So uh, I'm sitting there with a product I just renamed to X-Plane to simulate any aircraft, just about to graduate from college. This is 88. I want to say no, no. Or was it '88? Maybe it was. Maybe maybe it was early '90s. Actually, I think we're hitting up to the early early '90s here, and um, so I never applied for a job. I just I came out of Iowa State University, and uh, there was this new thing that was just forming. It was called the World Wide Web, and you could download pirated episodes of Babylon Five on the World Wide <laughs> Web. Wow! And uh, I figured, well, if you can put my uh, pirated episodes of uh, Babylon Five on the World Wide Web, I ought to be able to put this flight simulator up there too. And yeah. uh, and so X Plane was uh, made its made its start uh, pretty much within like six months of me graduating from college. Wow. Okay. So that's a quick start. I, I have to ask, because you're, you're naming all these crazy things that you've done. And if anybody ever looks at your website, which is austinmeyer.com, they'll see a bunch of stuff. How do you manage everything that you do? Like you've made documentaries, you've made X-Plane, you're working 
um, for beta right now? Like, how do you how do you do that? Well, okay. So um, basically, my work and my play are identical. They're indistinguishable. I love, love, love to work. I mean, most of the time I'm on vacation, I'm just kind of like gritting my teeth and running my fingernails in my pockets thinking, I could be getting work done. It's more fun even than this. But yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm basically always working because it's crazy fun. Also, I have great, great, great teams. Uh, beta is, is they're a team beyond belief, beyond imagination, how good they are. And my contribution to beta is minuscule minuscule compared to what this whole team is doing. I'm just the guy that provides a flight simulator, right? That's only one little right. part out of a lot. Uh, with Laminar Research, my my contribution is obviously a lot more significant, but yeah. I still have a, uh, a great team of people that carry the torch. Tyler with the UI, Ben Supnick with the graphics. Now, uh, uh, we got bringing in some new guys named Sydney and Stefan that are working on uh, next-gen networking and Vulcan Metal graphics. Um, we're going to see new autogen and scenery, obviously, in the coming years. And uh, I've got new artists working on that. So uh, I do all the flight model coding in X-Plane. And I also uh, am technically the president of the company. So technically, I call all the shots. Although, mm -hmm. in reality, it's way, 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 way more of a team effort. It's not an autocratic type deal. It's a team effort. And I pretty much have to put my foot down and throw a temper tantrum if I ever just insist something get done differently. And, <laughs> um, and that rarely happens because I'm pretty much always overruled by people that know exactly what they're doing and they're a little part of the company, you see. But um, Laminar Research, I'm obviously a lot more busy. Um, Xavion, um, my app that will guide an airplane down to a runway after an engine failure. Or maybe I should say, for legal reasons, I think I need to say my Apple try to guide an airplane <laughs> down to a runway after an engine failure. Oh, I can tell you, having pulled the uh, the power in my various airplanes many times and following the thing down to the runway, I wouldn't want to try and do a power off landing without it. But um, Xavier is something I'm working on uh, when I'm not doing X-Plane. So those, those are the main things. And yes, for the patent scam, I did kind of take a, about two years, I'd say. I took two years away from X-Plane uh, about, uh, oh, I think it was eight or nine years ago, something like that. Maybe 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 six or seven. Six or seven years ago, I took about uh, a year or two where I was really light on X-Plane coding because I was spending my time making the documentary. And that's the patent scam. You can see it on like uh, Hulu. Uh, I think Amazon Go has it for free if you've got an Amazon movie membership. Um, basically, the bottom line is the patent scam. It sounds boring. Who the hell wants to learn about patents? Dumbest, most boring thing I've ever heard of. Why would I waste my time with that when I can you know, watch people in a hot dog eating contest or whatever it's getting the rating today? <laughs> But if you watch the patents game, trust me, it's got nothing to do with patents. It's about extortion. It's about yep. extortion and lies and shell companies and uh, corruption and hiding away what you're actually doing. And when you see what the patent system actually is in this country, it'll be jaw-dropping, absolutely jaw-dropping. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched that video you put on YouTube, I want to say maybe two or three years ago about the patent mm -hmm. scam, and it did open my eyes to go, wow, your people literally out there just want to take you to court and get yep. as much money from you, and you settle just because you just want to get it over with. Yep, that's and what other people do. It's not what I did. I made a documentary movie and overturned their patent. But what 99.9% .9 of the people have to do, of course, is settle because they don't have the money to defend themselves. Did you have anybody else reach out to you besides the person that you specifically mentioned on your website and like thanking you for bringing this to um, bring this to light? Or was it something that you really didn't get too many comments on? Oh, no. People reach out to me all the time saying, really? uh, thank you for making the movie. The same type of thing happened to me. Um, I, I loved it. I, people people all, all the time are, are reaching out to me saying that. And I had a grand total of one, one person that was actually in the movie that was named 
as one of the people that committed this this deed uh, right. of patent trolling that I that I basically uh, I want I wouldn't go so far as to say I accused them of patent trolling I would say I I I showed what they did that resulted mm-hmm. in someone's life being ruined and um and they reached out to me saying uh what what was it it was it was an attempt to get me to uh apologize or retract my statements or something like that and they said like you know just removing the content won't be enough or some you know threat like that and i was just like you show me what i said in that movie that was wrong you show me the 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 misstatement or inaccurate statement that i made and uh and of course all of a sudden the emails stop, right? Then they just disappear. So yeah. um, I've gotten I've gotten feedback from one of the people named in the movie that did not like being named, and uh, and, a, and a tremendous uh, ongoing uh, stream of support from people that are glad to have have seen it, and many of which have many people of which have lived it. Wow! In being nice. sued <laughs> by patent trolls. Yeah, that was a few years ago, and I've I've learned a lot since then just by watching you bring it to life. Mm-hmm. But um, Back to today's day, the biggest word right now, just a little bit of um, subject shift, is Vulcan. And um, I saw your um, your presentation last year at a FS Expo in uh, Orlando, and mm-hmm. you were talking about bringing it to life. It's here. I'm using it. It's good. I love it. No stutters. I mean, what is your um, take on the response you've been getting about from Vulcan, and did it come come out the way you wanted to? Oh yeah, it's it's blazing fast on both Macintosh and Windows. Uh, blazing fast gets rid of the stutters, and I mean ninety nine point nine percent of the people when they get this this Vulcan uh, update next plane eleven, they say, "Yay, I'm so happy! It's great now. I can crank up the rendering options more, and the simulation stays smooth without pausing." And that's all true, okay? And probably ninety nine point nine percent of the money I'm going to make from Vulcan is going to be people that I just described. More rendering options, smoother flight. Better simulation. Yay. Hmm. And that's great. But the real target that I was like gritting my teeth trying to hit here was just a little bit different than that. The real target I'm trying to hit is when you make a big professional grade X-Plane simulator with five computers all networked together, forming a wraparound series of projectors or monitors to give you huge wraparound visuals to actually build a simulator that can be used for flight test and flight training, that all five of those computers stay in perfect sync to the complete immersion that you have in the $10 million simulators to have that same quality in X-Plane. And the hardest requirement to hit, because X-Plane already has a flight model for this. It's already got way better graphics than the, the $10, $20, 30000000 million sims. Uh, it's got flight models. It's way more flexible and powerful without question. But the thing it needed to do was not stutter. Because the second it stutters, the visual on one frame get, or one monitor gets out of sync with the visual on another, and the whole immersive flight experience is lost. And so that mm. literally – X-Plane already destroys the $30 million sims in graphics and flexibility and power and, and accessibility and modifiability. It, it destroys those sims. But the hesitation or the pausing ruined 
everything because the whole immersive world would be lost the moment one of those monitors paused and the other didn't and the world broke into little pieces like you were looking at a rendering glitch in the matrix (laughs) and now that we have addressed that with vulcan and gotten those pauses out so the scenery all stays together across all the monitors we now have a true professional grade simulator and uh that was a very highly defined target that I wanted to hit because I knew if we could hit that target, everybody else would just be happy as, as can be. So we've interviewed you, you before, not Norm and I, but um, Scott Havener, when he used to work for us, he um, he interviewed you at FS Expo and he asked you about like your long-term goal for X-Plane and you said that you want users to get the actual experience of flying versus everything, like the everything controlled environment that virtual worlds are today so the way you're describing it vulcan is a step in that direction would you say so yes vulcan is a step in well first things first vulcan is a step in in any direction we want to go because now that we've got a a high speed smooth fluid non-stuttering world with a, a good i won't say great I won't say great. I'll say good general base scenery engine and way better scenery, obviously, always being worked on. So our scenery will be improved. Um, We can take that base uh, platform and go in any direction we want. One of the directions we're going, and this is new within like the last 48 hours or so, we just uh, unveiled, uh, at least for for beta testing, and hopefully we'll get in too much trouble for announcing this uh, publicly, but we're in beta testing, so I think I ought to be uh, able to announce it. We're starting to do massive multiplayer online flight in the mobile version of X-Plane on the iPhone so that anybody uh, can log in uh, into their virtual world uh, with an iPhone with X-Plane on it and fly with everyone else. Um, That this will at some point move into desktop as well should go without saying. And so we are now deploying the technology to build the massively multiplayer online presence with the high flight model fidelity, high frame rate uh, engine that we need to drive it in a completely immersive way. And so um, we're Vulcan and massively multiplayer online are two huge steps towards the uh, X-Plane universe that I want to build. Right. So you were talking about scenery that's in development now is that your own scenery or are you talking about third-party developers i'm only talking about laminar research so there's countless scenery add-ons you can get for x-plane orbix especially is one that uh people are always saying is the absolute best so um there's tons of third-party scenery constantly in development but i would probably only discuss laminar research developments to make sure i don't speak for anyone else and so i can tell you we have people at laminar research including new hires building new generations of scenery that will deploy obviously when it's done (laughs) right so i mean obviously you can only speak on behalf of laminar research but how about your perspective on third-party development i know that it's really blown up since x-plane 11 um what is your perspective on third-party developers and what they're doing in your simulator okay so first of all you might be shocked to know how little i know about who all the third-party developers are i'm so busy making x-plane to be a flexible extensible open platform that anybody can access i actually do not have a single add-on aircraft 
Minecraft installed in my copy of X-Plane, not a single add-on scenery. I just don't have time. I don't have time to go install other people's stuff in my sim. And so my mission is to make sure that our file formats for aircraft, scenery, plugins, add-ons are as open and easily accessible as possible to as many people as possible. And Ben Supnick in particular makes it his mission to make sure those formats almost never change so that once you go to the trouble to build an airplane or a scenery pack or something for X-Plane, it it doesn't quit working in the next version of X-Plane. So my goal is to let everybody access the sim. Ben's goal is to make sure they can access it with as little effort as possible by not having to redo it every five years or four years or however often we come out with a new version of X-Plane. So my perspective is I make the sim available. Um, What people do with that, I very much do not have time to worry about. Um, That's exactly what I'm totally happy to leave up to everyone else. Yeah, right. um, compared to other sims, I've heard that explains file structure is just so simple. It's, it's just basically drag and drop. So you're saying that you just want to keep that no matter how big the sim gets, you want to be able to have it accessible as you use the term. So everybody who can make an add-on product, it's not going to be breaking from, from upgrade to upgrade, correct? Correct. Absolutely. That's the case. So uh, I'm going to throw a little a rumor at you that I heard, and I want to know your thought on it. Um, so I heard when Vulcan Metal was starting to be in development that it was like it was under the hood of Laminar Research that you guys were actually just going to be breaking all the third-party add-ons um, in order to in to put in that new rendering, rendering engine, but then you decided that it wasn't in your best interest to do that for reasons that you just stated, and then you decided to work harder to make it so it was more compatible with plugins that used to run in OpenGL. Is that true or no? Okay, so I'm I'm tend to lean towards saying it's not true, but I'm not going to make a definitive statement on that because Ben Supnick is the one in charge of uh, plugins right. and uh, and largely in charge of the Vulcan and Metal port and i'm not exactly sure at what point uh in the development process he decided to increase or decrease reverse compatibility um even if it would mean slowing down the deployment so whatever whatever did happen there is almost certainly some sort of shades of gray or leaning one way or leaning another saying well i'd like to be able to support this type of feature even if i can't support that and so i'm sure there's been a lot of kind of going back and forth as we decide do we want to maybe slow down the release of the new version to support more of the old stuff or vice versa but there was never like a sudden tipping point at the company or anything like that where our shift suddenly changed. It's just been an ongoing consideration of uh, how much do we work to make sure old stuff works with metal. And I can tell you right now, not all plugins can work with metal because the graphics work so differently. But most plugins should work just fine. Awesome, awesome. Now, uh, I I joined X-Plane since X-Plane 10. Didn't even hear about Flight Sim before that. Uh, Explain is my only simulator. 10 I started with. 11 came out, and 11 was a huge step. Just the user interface alone uh, was a big difference from everything cluttered, so to speak, to now everything is simplified. And um, <clears throat> the next step for Explain is what I want to know about. And considering that the big elephant in the space of flight simming now is Microsoft Flight Sim 2020, I'm not sure if you can give away anything to us, or maybe you can, but are you continuing on your same path for development for Explain, or is there anything specific that you might be doing to address the new sim simulator coming out? 
Okay, so first things first, let's look back. I came out with X-Plane, I'm starting to remember now, I think it was 1995. Yep. It, was, it was 1995 that I actually came out with the first version. Was there any other simulator on the market in 95? I can't remember. Um, I'm being so sarcastic. It was Flight Sim 95. Yeah. <laughs> it was Flight Sim 95. There's been a new version of Microsoft Flight Sim pretty much every couple of years for as long as I've been in business. And uh, yeah, there's been a hiatus due to some um, maybe arguable failures or ball dropping or something like that. So it's been a little bit of a hiatus. And now they're they're kind of coming back. I have to say kind of because it's not really Microsoft, is it? This looks like they, they hired a French company to maybe kind of start from scratch, maybe to a certain degree, and then put the Microsoft logo on it or something. Or maybe they're using the same code base. I'm not even sure. But uh, they've um, Microsoft has been coming out with uh, a new sim basically on average every couple of years for as long as I've been in business. So for us, uh, our mission is just totally unchanged. What have we always done? We've built the most powerful, accurate, uh, open format, user accessible, user modifiable, small company feel where people can ask for changes and get them and not be run through, through some sort of you know politically correct corporate structure or something. And um, that's always what we've done and that's not changing. So what Microsoft does actually doesn't really have any impact on, on what we develop. We're going to build the same type of sim for the next 30 years that we built for the last 30 years. Nothing's going to change. So you're just uh, going to stay the course and just keep um, yeah. um, explain 11 going into explain 12 as strong, robust, and um, also dependent on the third party ecosystem that we have right now. Is that pretty much well, that I'm not sure. Part? I would. I'm not sure. I use the term dependent on the on the third party ecosystem. What I would say is we will continue to support um, all all of the the plugins and scenery and aircraft formats and whatnot, so that the third party developers don't lose their investment. What what worked uh, in one version of Xplain will work in the next. So we're going to continue to support the third party developers. We're going to continue to increase uh, flight model realism, increase rendering efficiency, increase scenery quality. We're now bringing on massively multiplayer online, and we have just hit the target that I want to hit for professional-grade sims as well, and all that quality is rolled right back into the consumer product. So um, that's the course we've been on, and we are, we're continuing on that same course. Right. That's interesting, because so many people, uh, at least in the beginning, when FS2020 was first spoken about, thought that you should be really afraid for it, but honestly, you're very clearly not, and you're continuing on with your own ambitions, which honestly is not the answer I was expecting. Well, I've, this is not my first rodeo, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. And let me ask you this. Go for it. A company comes along, mm -hmm. and they say, we need to flight test a new airplane that's never been built. We need to put this in a simulator to figure out how this airplane is going to fly. Mm -hmm. And we need to figure out how it's going to fly before we actually build it. It needs to be accurate enough for the test pilots. We want to be able to connect it together, to connect a bunch together, have big wraparound visuals. It needs to run on a Macintosh and on an, on an airbase with no net access. 
let's go for Microsoft Flight Sim, right? I mean, I just struck <laughs> Microsoft Flight Sim out like four times in a row with that <clears throat> one mission requirement. And these types of requirements are not going to stop. Microsoft Flight Sim, it looks like, is the most gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful thing to look at. Um but what is it? It's, it's like $5 a month or free if you pay your $10 a month for your gaming service with Microsoft or something. It just is like a wonderful, wonderful way to wander around in the aviation uh, universe for a, a monthly fee. And that's great. That's a great thing. But that has little to do with what X-Plane delivers, which is the power to try electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, which are what's coming next, to mm -hmm. enter any design you can imagine into Plane Maker and then test fly it in X-Plane, to run a Mac, Windows, Linux, iPhone, Android, all these platforms, to do massively multiplayer where you might be on a Macintosh talking to somebody else on an Android phone, all flying in the same universe together. Maybe one guy's got wraparound visuals with five different computers and five monitors wrapping all around him. Somebody else is at Edwards Air Force Base. Somebody else is on his phone in a retirement community in Florida. Who knows? They're all, they're all flying around together on all these different platforms into a constantly uh, evolving world with an extremely efficient, uh, smooth rendering engine and without question the most accurate flight model. Um, the flight model that you've seen in X-Plane 1150 is good, but I've already got stuff under the hood that I'll unveil when the time is right that makes the 1150 flight model look like nothing. So um, Microsoft looks like it's going to be a great sim for a certain demographic for a certain mission. And that's a wonderful thing. Also, Halo. Halo is a great app for certain people at a, with a certain mission, um, which is to walk around and shoot everything in, in the head that moves, right? That's the Halo <laughs> yeah. goal. So there are, there's, there's plenty of apps for plenty of missions. What does that have to do with X-Plane? Nothing. Nothing. Because hmm. I got my mission, and I'm not going off of my mission. Actually, uh, your answer made me actually rethink a lot of things I didn't think about, just the Mac user alone. Uh, being a for, well, being a Mac user myself, that's what brought me to X-Plane. Um, mm -hmm. I looked for flight simming. I couldn't run uh, Microsoft Flight Sim FSX P3D, and this was the only multi-platform sim out there and still mm -hmm. is. Yeah. And, and then also you just mentioned the fact that it is a powerful platform that sometimes we as quote-unquote simmers or fanboys forget that you can actually use it for real, real world just like Ava flight modeling before you even build the airplane. So yep. um, never thought about it that way. And now that you said it, I'm thinking about it going, yeah, that, that makes lots of sense to me. You know, never thought about it that way. But I mean, good for you to stick to your guns on it because you've been doing this for how long you said and all sims have come and gone and you're still here. So yep. that says a lot. Definitely says a lot. And then you have the X-Plane mobile platform um, that's coming along almost step by step with the um, 11... Uh, with explain on desktop. Uh, how is that coming? You know, what's the future uh, of that? Okay, so it's fine. So first of all, let me say, the X-Plane mobile version, I simply cannot get that excited about it as a user. When I fly X-Plane, it's on my new iMac, okay? Austin Myers on iMac, that sounds boring. Well, okay, but it is a pretty <laughs> kick-ass computer, I got to say. It's one of the new ones, and it's really damn fast. Mm -hmm. But um, when I use X-Plane, it's on a desktop, brand new, fast Macintosh, which just gives for me great power, great user interface, and the desktop version of X-Plane gives me what I'm looking for in a flight simulator. Mobile for me does not, but I'm not the only customer, okay? With X-Plane, I want it to meet a lot of people's needs. And what is so fascinating is there's a whole generation of people that wouldn't consider flying 
a flight simulator on a desktop computer. They wouldn't even have a desktop computer. And so for them, a phone is absolutely the point to use for their access to flight simulation. Right. And um, so, so that being the case, mobile is extremely important to the company. But here's where it really gets fascinating. We now have the same flight model running on both the desktop and iPhone version of X-Plane, Right. We've already announced this. You probably already know this. The flight model is the same. So whenever I make improvements to the flight model on desktop, it gets realized in mobile just automatically. And we use the same, of course, aircraft file formats and many, not all, but many of the same scenery file formats between desktop and mobile. And this means whenever I hire an artist to design an airplane for the desktop, mobile gets it. In other words, our development cost between uh, desktop and mobile might be about half of what you think it is because everything we do from one or almost everything we do on one platform, we can then roll into the other at no additional cost. So being on Mac, Windows, Linux, Android, and iPhone allows us to realize the rewards of a development dollar five times over. And that's just frankly what you call a good business model. So um, the phone adds a great type of uh, diversity and revenue stream and compounds on our already spent development dollars spent on desktop, uh, it, it takes advantage of that uh, to deploy the SIM for more revenue and more customers and bring aviation to more people. So the phone is a, it's a great part of the ecosystem. And I'll also say that the phone is a gateway because I, I'm a streamer. I stream um, Explain Online. And a a lot of my members who watch my streams on a regular basis, they don't have a computer, as you said, but they do come and watch the live stream on desktop and they play on their phone and eventually they end up getting x at some point on the desktop. So it's a good hmm. gateway also. Yeah. Definitely. Um, your autogen for x has come a long way. I mean, you guys have worked on the autogen stuff really, really, really well. And I, I love it. I love being able to turn that slider up to almost max and have autogen just render in Europe or somewhere like that. But let me ask you about um, any kind of satellite imagery thing in your future that you've got you know, thought about, perhaps? I, you know, I do get asked that question about every uh, 30 days or so. And um, my, I haven't changed my mind in the 15 or 20 years since people started asking. So I'll give the same answer I always give, which is my faith in satellite imagery is a little bit low. Because whenever <laughs> mm-hmm. you get that satellite image, you've got the top of every car painted onto the road motionless. You've got the shadow uh, from every tree, every building, the, the lighting and, and shadows coming across every building baked into uh, the ground, the street, um, any buildings that you try and pull up out of there. So uh, it's like a Twilight Zone episode where you know you step outside the apartment and the whole world's frozen, right? You're like the one yeah. person that's wandering around and the whole world is frozen. That's what it looks <laughs> to me like when you look at these kind of satellite-generated worlds. And then I find things like the color is often, you know, this one looks magenta. And why does this one have a bluish tint? And then where the satellite seams come together, I see like these seams or cracks where the world is kind of like shifted by like hundreds of feet uh, where the photos don't line up properly. I mean, I just, I see it done badly. And even if it's done right, you're still looking at just a single frozen moment in time. Well, that is the exact opposite of what I want to give an X-Plane. What I want to give an X-Plane 
It's a dynamic world where everything's moving, everything's changing. The shadows move, uh, you know, as the time of day changes, the lights come on at night, the cars are going up and down the road. I want a dynamic world and I want each bit of it to be so highly detailed that you can fly up to it, you know, right in a helicopter and just see all the detail of that carefully crafted little building right in front of you. And uh, the, the dynamic detailed world uh, kind of it, 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 it goes against satellite imagery because the satellite imagery you're gonna have a very hard time getting it to be global you only get it for certain areas mm-hmm. it's going to go to low resolution it's at a certain time of day then you try and then what people do is they say all right well, i'm gonna take a 3d building and i'm gonna draw it on top of the roof that's painted on the ground from the satellite photo. But mm-hmm. invariably, the 3D building that comes up doesn't quite fit the uh, the actual satellite photo building that's already there. And so you can like see the roof painted on the ground leaking out from the foundation of the building. It's the most right. ridiculous looking thing. And the illusion is totally broken because you instantly see, oh, that's an artificial 3D house sitting on top of a photo of a roof baked or melted into the ground. It's like being in a dolly painting or something like that where everything's <laughs> melting. And so the satellite uh, scenery is one of those things that sounds good in theory, but in my experience, in practice, it just doesn't work out well. Now, the movies from MS-2020 make it look like it's going to be great, and it probably will be, but it's got to only be that way uh, for certain levels of detail, certain regions of the world for which they have the, the scenery, and um, I'm not going to make any comments on what I think about rendering artifacts, because uh, when they come out with the demo and everybody checks it out, they'll be able to decide those for themselves. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I always enjoyed in X-Plane 10 was seeing the little cars go under my wing when I was going in for landing. So I really, I see where you're coming from with that. What are you going to be doing then to try to make the autogen and X-Plane more realistic? Because that's something that um, I'm sure you've heard from the community. Although people do praise your autogen, sometimes they do talk about it being kind of stale. What oh, are you yeah. guys going to look at for that? Oh, it's totally stale. It's stale because we still are in X-Plane 11 after like five years or something crazy like that. And we're in X-Plane 11 for five years with our X-Plane 11.0 art assets, which are now stale as hell because yeah. we've taken so long to do Vulcan, right? And so the graphics look stale, but they're running over 100 frames per second. This is what happens when you promise Vulcan and metal for X-Plane 11, and you don't stop until you deliver it. And so now we've delivered this incredible new rendering engine with this stale old scenery. And so you have this, this kind of stale scenery running at 100 frames per second on a mid-range computer. That's yeah. the world we're in right now. <laughs> now, I shouldn't have to tell you we got people working on the next gen. I mean, come on. So, um, and, and you will see that when it's ready to show without question. Wow. Hmm. So your next gen is going to be detailed and better. So here's an interesting little thing. When it first started out, it was uh, me and Ben Subnick and Sergio. It was the three musketeers doing X-Plane up to like version nine or something like that, or even maybe version 10. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I started hiring a lot of Italian artists, artists from Italy. And then some of the Italians started retiring. And now I'm starting to bring in some people from Eastern Europe. And so we now have uh, more of an Eastern European contingent of artists working completely behind the scenes. You've never seen their work, but you will. And uh, it's just a whole new level as we bring in this fresh blood from uh, the, the perhaps one of the most unexpected places. So um, the, the next-gen scenery – well, we're always working on next-gen scenery. No matter what generation scenery we have, we're working on the next-gen. 
gen. We're just in a case right now where the X-Plane 11 scenery is comically stale because we've had X-Plane out forever. And we've had it out forever because we promised to do Vulcan and metal next gen rendering in this version. And so that's what we're doing. All right. So are we talking about then X-Plane 12 maybe i don't out? know so we Not haven't sure. decided we haven't decided on either naming convention version numbers or even distribution model like let's say microsoft comes out and they're you know free with uh the gaming service and you know you pay ten dollars a month you get it forever maybe people love that and then maybe people's like i don't want to pay sixty dollars for a flight sim i get it for free if i just pay ten dollars a month at somebody else and yeah. then you know who knows maybe right for, for mobile we don't have a version number right it's just explain mobile Right. And so maybe the next version of X-Plane will be like, you know, X-Plane forever, you know, or X-Plane, <laughs> enter the matrix. I mean, who knows what we'll call it and who knows what the, uh, the, 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 the pricing model, the purchasing model will be. So these things we haven't decided yet because our goal right now is clear. Get X-Plane 1150 locked down, get that Vulcan metal uh, done and working perfectly and make meet the promise, right? We made a promise. We made a promise we'd get Vulcan metal in 11. We made yeah. that promise and we're going we're gonna to fulfill it. And once that promise is fulfilled, and <laughs> as you can see, it's being fulfilled now, we're pretty late in beta testing and it's running awesome. So um, once that, that, that promise is met, which is going to be in the very, very, very near future that we mark 1150 as final, um, we're going to make our next plan. And our next plan is, is going to involve massively multiplayer. It may involve going away from version numbers. It may, uh, it may involve uh, new types of things we haven't even thought of before. Those are the decisions we're going to be making uh, later this year when uh, X-Plane 1150 is really locked down and we know that we've met the promise that we made. Awesome. Awesome. A uh, quick little uh, question here um, about a specific uh, developer that has taken a X-Plane default airplane and have done basically miracles with it. And I would say it's probably one of the best planes in X-Plane. Um, I know you are a general aviation enthusiast. I, I heard an interview where you said you don't, you're not really a tube liner, we call it. You're not a big jet kind of person. You like the GA planes, but the 787 that you guys brought out, which was one of the best things you could ever do. We mean the 737. The 737. 737. There you go. Not okay, 787. Right. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, the 737. When it came out in, in X Plane 11, I was so happy because we didn't even have one. And we have a developer, uh, Zebo is called, who have just basically taken this thing and just done miracles with it, working within the X Plane code the best way. It's one of the only planes that didn't break when um, Vulcan came out. So it's already ready to go. Any thoughts on things like that or developers like that will work along with X Plane? Okay, so I'll just give you a tiny little bit of behind-the-scenes gossip here. So, mm. so many people got this airplane, and then they started drowning us with tech support requests. My Zebo <laughs> 737 doesn't work on Wednesdays at a full moon, you know, or whatever. And we're like, wait a minute. You're coming to us now for tech support on the on the user-modded airplane that, that we didn't – effectively, at this point, we didn't even make anymore. So, right. um, there's been, let's say, certain tech support headaches associated with it when people come to us for tech export on, on another modern aircraft. So that's a little bit of gossip for you. <laughs> now let's move out to a little bit more of a strategy, okay? Here's my strategy. Empower as many people as possible to accomplish as much as possible. So the strategy 
with Zebo was met wonderfully. Take an amazing thing and empower yourselves to make it even better. You take what we've got, use it as a starting point to improve something even more. And I do not consider this to be a copyright violation or trademark violation or anything like that because they're using it within the X-Plane world. If they mm-hmm. like taken our work and then copied it from Microsoft Flight Sim or something, then I'd be pissed. Yeah. But they didn't. They took something, they empowered themselves to make something even better for the X-Plane world. So, I mean, that for me is like right in the middle of my mission statement, which is just make the incredible sim that people can take and run and just do incredible stuff with, preferably better than I could do myself. Right. That's great mentality. So, uh, switching gears, um, you said that you write the flight model primarily for X-Plane. Can you walk uh, somebody who's maybe not so familiar with it, can you walk us a little bit through that and explain how you integrate a flight model into a flight simulator? Yeah, sure. So when you enter your airplane in Plane Maker, okay, so first of all, if you know nothing about X-Plane, you're listening to this interview, uh, X-Plane comes with like 40 different airplanes you can fly. You don't have to enter anything in a Plane Maker. And you can download thousands more off the net. Nobody has to enter anything in a Plane Maker. But if, excuse me, if you feel like entering an aircraft into Plane Maker, you can do it. Plane Maker comes with X-Plane and you enter the shape of the aircraft. You don't tell Plane Maker how the airplane's going to perform. You enter... Mm-hmm. The shape of the airplane, the wing, the weight, the engine power, you know, the propeller size, all that stuff. You enter the stuff that you can measure right off the airplane or measure right off the blueprint for an airplane. Then X-Plane will take that shape and break it down into a bunch of little pieces. It will then interact the air with each little piece of the airplane and find the force on each little piece. Now, I just made a tutorial that explains this. If you Mm -hmm. go to austinmeyer.com, in the upper left, upper left, right below the uh, the the douchebag governor of uh, <laughs> Wisconsin or whatever that banned Tesla from showing, right underneath that, um, there is a link to videos that I made. Click on that, and there's uh, a video track on how uh, X Plane and Plane Maker works. And in my Airfoil Maker tutorials and my little intro tutorial, I explain this with some diagrams. And if you watch those tutorials, you will actually come away with a pretty a pretty decent knowledge of how the whole thing works oh that's super cool i mean i've seen a video with you standing out with a a, a wind checker kind of behind yep. a prop um measuring prop wash at yep. different angles and places yep that's and yeah that, so the austin meyer youtube channel has it yep mm-hmm. oh yeah so that goes into your flight modeling for the sim itself basically. right so everybody or, or physics physics proves <clears throat> excuse me Physics proves how much the prop accelerates the air behind an airplane. Okay, this is a conservation of mass. Excuse me, this, this is a force equals ma. Force equals mass times acceleration equation. It's the most basic thing ever. Mm-hmm. But what physics doesn't tell us quite so easily in any uh, formula that I could find online is how long it takes for the air to accelerate. When that prop puts all that energy into the airstream, it puts it in the form of pressure. How long does it take the air to speed up? All right, how, how long does it take that pressure to turn to speed? Along what length of the airplane? And then how fast does that dissipate? How fast does the pressure, does that, does that speed dissipate as the air uh, you know, expands and, and dissipates out? I couldn't find any good references for that online. So I had uh, my flight instructor sit in my airplane and fire up the engine while I was on the outside with uh, this little anemometer recording wind speeds at a whole lot of different places behind the airplane. So I could see not just how much is the air accelerated, because basic physics prove that, but how, how long does it take to accelerate and how long does it hold that speed as it works its way down the aircraft? So that was just the next level that I had to get experimentally because I couldn't find the references online. 
Uh, any plans to address, uh, uh, adjust the weather, the weather model in an X-Plane, maybe smoother weather transitions? Oh, um, absolutely. More yeah. weather data? Yeah, without question. Um, so we, I will not be happy with the weather model in X-Plane until it varies smoothly with location and time. Because only when the weather varies smoothly with location and time can you find yourself in a real airplane getting painted into a corner and you don't know how the hell you're going to get out of it. And that is an experience I must bring to flight simulation. And I won't, I won't feel like I've done my job until I've done it. And I haven't done it yet. The weather, it's, it's too static. It technically changes the location, but it's sudden changes. It changes with time, sure, when real, you know, new real weather scans come in, but it's a sudden jerky, you know, instantaneous change. The thing that we that I need to bring to flight simulation in X plane is the feeling of taking off on an airplane, taking off on a plane with it with a somewhat distant destination in mind, trying to make it there, and doing so in an ever changing world, so that you're playing a slow motion game of chess against nature to arrive uh, at your destination as all the other pieces on the board are slowly, continuously moving at the same time because nature nature moves all the pieces at once, right? Flying an airplane is like playing chess against another player where the other player is moving all of his pieces at the same time. You can only make one move at a time because that's as fast as your tiny little brain can think, right? The pilot can make one move at a time. Nature is moving all the pieces at once. And so uh, winning that game of chess is a requirement for every successful flight. And that's the feeling I want to bring to X-Plane, and I haven't done it yet. But we're starting to put the pieces down to make it possible in the near future. So you're, you've been talking a lot about all these things you're working on in the future. How do you approach these issues and these ideas that you have in your head that you want to integrate into the simulator? Right. So the first thing we do is we start with the fundamentals. Do we right. have the right flight model? Do we have the right formats to rapidly build new scenery? Do we have the right rendering engine to run things smoothly so we're not pausing and destroying the illusion? Do we have uh, the formats that can have us making new airplanes and scenery and anything else we need? And do we have the code clean and modern so that we can always update it rapidly to add new features? And with X-Plane, without question, we spend a significant amount of time. We probably spend most of our time. I'd be afraid to measure it. But we may spend more of our time simply updating our existing code than actually writing new code. Mm. And that's to keep the whole platform uh, new and modern and flexible so that we can rapidly add new stuff when the time comes. I mean, they say with painting, painting is 90% prep. You ever hear that? You paint a car, it's 90% prep. Yep. Yep. Anybody can spray paint on a car. Hell, I can spray paint on a car, but it's like crap <laughs> if I didn't bother to clean it first. It's 90% of your paint job is the preparation and getting the thing clean, shiny, all the foreign object removed, all your Bondo sanded just the way you want it. You know, you got to get that, that prep done. That's more important than the paint. The paint's the easy part. Computer programming and a large computer program is the same Mm thing. 90% of your work is making sure that your large computer program remains sound and flexible and easy Mm -hmm. to update and modify without causing more problems down the road. The last 10%, which is coding in the new feature, that's the easy part once you've got your fundamental platform in place. And that's why I'm so excited about Vulkan. This is what's really doing the hard part, overhauling our internal platform. This is the 90% prep, overhauling our internal platform to let us code anything we can imagine right after that. So... I promise this is going to be one of the last times I bring it up, but this is uh, 
just something uh, that I I heard about people being really excited about for FS twenty twenty, uh, specifically developers, because you talked in the beginning how you it's always your goal to make it so that it's as easy as possible for third party developers to develop for your sim. Um, so something I heard about FS twenty twenty is that there's going to be the ability to. Re- edit your aircraft in real time so you can have it in the simulator then you can change a variable or something and you can watch it change is that something you've ever thought about for explain or no i am not totally thrilled with it and here's why hmm. if you really do the physics properly then you hmm. there is there is nothing like that to tweak right maybe in microsoft or some other sim they'll say oh i want the airplane to roll 20 percent faster let me tweak the roll rate up a little bit well okay but now you're just lying to yourself right you're just telling right. yourself whatever you want to hear right i don't want to tell people what they want to hear i need the airplane to perform properly and if you change the aspect ratio of a wing well i got news for you in reality that changes everything. Right, you just yeah. increased your moment of inertia of the aircraft. You increase the damping and roll. You increase the aileron uh, moment on the uh, center of gravity. You just change the Oswald's efficiency factor and the induced drag. You change the aspect ratio in that wing. Everything changes. You don't change one variable on a real airplane. And everyone knows with test flight that as soon as you change one little thing on your airplane, you got to go through all the tests all over again and expect everything else to be affected. That is like the thing that drives test flight in real aircraft. So um, with X-Plane, we're not going to try to tweak anything in the middle of a flight because anything you tweak affects everything. As that aircraft needs to be reloaded, reinitialized, rethought out by the simulator with a new variable. And that's why we do it in Plane Maker. And if in Microsoft, you can just sit there and say, I want 10% more roll rate. Let me dial that in. Well, okay, but you're not test flying an airplane at that point. You're not flying a real airplane at that point. You're just telling the simulator to tell you what you want to hear. I don't even see any value in that. Right. That makes complete sense. I didn't really think about it that way because so, so you're you're just so you are so focused on the realism of explain that it even if you would be able to do that, it just wouldn't make sense because I don't want to tell it, anybody what they want to hear. This is why I would never make it in political office. I wouldn't even make it to the beginning of the, the election <laughs> cycle. I, can't tell, I, I mean, I get a perverse pleasure from telling people what they don't want to hear. Um, and I want to instead say exactly how things are and show only show something that's sustainable. Only shows something that works. Only something that, that is self-consistent and makes sense. And with X-Plane, the laws of physics are pretty darn well documented. And X-Plane follows those laws of physics. And that requires that you enter your design in Plane Maker, let X-Plane load that entire design, do all of the ratios, aspect ratios, taper ratios, you know, all, you know, moment of inertia, mass distribution, all that stuff. And once it's gone through the entire design from tip to tail, all the constants are set, then it's ready to fly it. And that process takes maybe 10 seconds or five seconds to load up an airplane, an X-plane. But um, you you can't do that in the middle of a flight. I'm not going to have a five or 10 second pause in the middle of a flight. That that used to be my gripe when I just got into X-plane because all the videos from you guys and all the statements was about getting the physics of the plane right. I'm like, why? It just It looks good already. Mm-hmm. But you insisted that it didn't fly oh, right. Yeah. And then once oh, yeah. I started flying things, I realized how much of a difference it makes. It just It's natural, basically, is yep. what I want to say. Yep. Uh, how, how do you, how do you hmm, rate that or grade that? How many points of 
uh, flight dynamics? I mean, how do you rate a, a physics engine like this, which is what X-Plane is? Well, it, it, proximity to the real aircraft. Um, so luckily, I've got access to a real aircraft and um, am in, involved in uh, two flight test programs with real aircraft. And so what we do is we design the airplane and X-Plane, uh, fly fly it and carefully measure what the real airplane does and compare it to X-Plane. And I've been involved in a number of FAA certification programs as well, where we, um, and customer programs, I'm delivering an airplane to the Air Force right now, a T-38 fighter, where we have the pilot fly the real T-38 through a series of maneuvers on video, then fly the X-Plane through the exact same maneuvers with the same stick and throttle inputs and whatnot, and make sure that the simulated airplane exactly tracks the real airplane. So how do I measure accuracy? Well, you compare it to what the real aircraft does and look at, look at any uh, errors. And that's it. That is it. How does it compare to the real plane? Wow. That is really cool. Uh, you've definitely got my attention. Uh, now, before, before we head out, uh, because we're approaching the one hour mark, um, is there anything else that we haven't asked you today that you want to share with us or anything that's on your mind that you just want to say, or is that pretty much it? Well, I guess that's it. The only thing I would say is go to austinmeyer.com and there's no S at the end. It's just austinmeyer.com. And uh, I've got all my work laid out there and the video link in the upper left, you should definitely consider checking out because I'm updating that every uh, few days or so with a new video to really show in detail how X-Plane works and how Plane Maker works. And seeing how Plane Maker works may sound like a little bit of a boring topic until you realize that this is the gateway to let you enter the airplane of your dreams into the simulator and then see how it would fly if you actually built it. And that is a power that uh, I think is extremely compelling. Awesome. Well, Austin, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Yep. Uh, I know we all wanted to see the rocket take off today with yeah. the astronauts going up. It didn't happen, but it'll do Saturday. You just hopefully, the time to talk. Yeah, sad day, but uh -huh. appreciate it. I okay. love your enthusiasm on explain. Always been this way since day one. I've, from yep. everything I've looked at, so I appreciate that you coming on and talking to us. No problem.